first 17 verses of this 18th chapter and also said that it also summarizes the important teaching of the whole Bhagavad Gita where Lord Krishna is teaching, teaching us sannyasa or renunciation. <coughs> this is the, the Vedic teaching of Tyaga or renunciation. Renunciation of that which is for me a cause of sorrow. So, on account of holding on to many things, the human being is unhappy. He experiences sorrow or sadness on account of holding on to things. Holding on to certain notions, holding on to certain conclusions, holding on to certain judgments about his own self which are not based on reality, which are due to ignorance and therefore many things I think about myself. That I am a limited being, that I am a mortal being, that I am a small or insignificant being, that I am a limited, inadequate person. So all these conclusions I have about myself, I am holding on to. And my life is, whatever I do, is based on these conclusions of perception of myself. Is dropping of these conclusions when it is found that these are based on ignorance or not on reasoning. 
that in fact I do not have a valid reason to have or hold on to these conclusions. And therefore, when an inquiry is made with the help of the scriptures, with the help of the teachers, as to what the true nature of I is, and when it is discovered that I am not what I take myself to be, that I think that I am a mortal being or a small insignificant being, that I am not. I am not an adequate creature, I am not someone who is bound or insecure, which I take myself to be. So when thus an inquiry into the nature of I is performed, what is the nature of I? What's the nature of the self? When that inquiry is performed with the help of scriptures and the teacher, then as I discover that these notions are not right, dropping these notions, letting them go. And what all I am doing based on these notions. So when I look upon myself as an incomplete or inadequate being, I look upon myself as a small creature, then there is fear, there is insecurity. And therefore, a lot of things or most of the things I do in my life are originating from a sense of fear or a sense of insecurity. I always seem to be out to always protect myself, defend myself, because I feel that I am attacked, I am persecuted. And that insecurity alone results into my aggressiveness, my attacking others sometimes, my hurting others. So all of these that we see is, it originates from a sense of insecurity, a fear. And Vedanta explains to us, there is no reason for insecurity, no reason for the fear. Thus, discovering myself as I truly am. And in the wake of that discovery, letting go of the false notions or conclusions I have about myself, this is the process. And thus, what I am holding on to in terms of my conclusions about myself, my complexes about myself, are based on a lack of inquiry or a lack of really looking at myself, a lack of scrutinizing this conclusion, I just taken things for granted, and these conclusions are scrutinized in light of what Upanishads, what Vedanta, what Bhagavad Gita reveals. So that is a primary renunciation. Renunciation of what I am falsely holding on to and which is solely the cause of my sorrow or unhappiness. That otherwise there is no reason for me to be unhappy at all because what I am is what I like to be. I like to see myself free, fearless, a complete being. I like to see myself a loving, good person. I like to see myself as a giving, charitable person. I like to see myself as a beautiful, good person. And that is what I am. And therefore, when I take myself to be opposite of that, that is not the truth about myself. And therefore, what I am holding on to is not based on the truth of myself. And therefore, letting go all these false notions and conclusions because these false conclusions are a source of all the unhappiness in my life. If the world appears to give me unhappiness, it is not because the world is capable of doing it. But on account of holding on to these notions of myself, I give power to the world to make me unhappy. And thus, 
When I stop giving the capacity of power to the world to make men happy, regardless how the world is, regardless of how I am treated, they just cannot make men happy. This is ultimately the goal of freedom from all unhappiness, freedom from sadness, and therefore owning up the happiness or fullness which is my nature. So we say yesterday, Atyantika Dukhanivrutihi, elimination or cessation of pain or sorrow once and for all. Niritesha Sukhavaptihi, attainment of happiness, limitless happiness, which is my nature. And this abidance in that freedom, abidance in that happiness, unconditional happiness, this is what is called moksha or liberation, and that is the goal. This is what Bhagavad Gita teaches us. And therefore, in attainment of that goal, that letting go, that dropping, in the wake of the discovery of the truth or discovery of reality, letting go of that is born of ignorance. That's all that I'm required to, nothing else. And therefore, as Vedanta teaches us, our life, for it to become a spiritual pursuit, is nothing but simply dropping or letting go of whatever the ideas or conclusions are born of ignorance. And because I hold on to uh, many wrong notions about myself, therefore I also have many wrong notions about the world also. And many wrong notions about God also. And all these notions are taken up for scrutiny. They are subjected to an inquiry. And as I discover that these notions are wrong, just a preparedness on my part, an openness on my part to let them go. And that is how I relieve myself of a tremendous burden. And as this burden is let go, I keep on discovering the freedom. Ultimately, when all the burden goes away, I find myself completely free. And therefore understand that as Vedanta teaches us, the freedom is nothing but freedom from my own notions, my own conclusions, my own judgments about myself. There is no other freedom to be sought. Although I feel that I am being bound by circumstances, that I am, you know, uh, this, this man, a creature, you know, which is always bound by circumstances, I think. I think there is a world that oppresses me, that persecutes me. This is what I think, but that is not so. As I said, it is I who gives the world a capacity to do whatever it appears to be doing to me. In fact, it is I who is doing to myself. And therefore, a process is stop hurting yourself. Stop condemning yourself. Stop rejecting yourself. This is what Vedanta teaches us. And that is called renunciation. Can you believe that? Renunciation is simply desisting from rejecting myself, desisting from unaccepting myself, owning up myself, discovering myself, accepting myself, owning up myself. And when I am able to accept myself, I find that I have no difficulty in accepting the world also. When I find that I am a beautiful person, then I find that the whole world also is very beautiful. When I find that I am a loving person, I have no difficulty in discovering that love everywhere. 
And therefore, it is not merely a discovery of myself. In fact, it is a discovery of the whole existence. It is not only discovering a comfort with myself, it is discovering comfort with everything. And thus, being always at home, being always comfortable with myself as well as with everything. At all times, at all places and all conditions, is what is called moksha, is called freedom. And that is the goal that Bhagavad Gita and Vedanta presents before us. There is nothing magical about it, nothing miraculous about it. This is something very practical. And this does not require anything unusual. The usual day-to-day life that I am living and the day-to-day experiences that I have, all of the experiences alone are subjected to scrutiny and based on that the teaching proceeds. And therefore the teaching of Vedanta is based on our day-to-day life as we live. And therefore it doesn't call for any unusual experience. Doesn't require any miracle to happen because whatever happens is enough to help us to understand the reality of ourselves and reality of life. So this is how renunciation then is nothing but the shedding or letting go of ignorance and the notions born of ignorance in the week of knowledge. This is the primary renunciation. This is called Brahma Vidya, the knowledge of Brahma, the knowledge of the Self. <coughs> and before that, a secondary kind of renunciation also was taught. That in order for me to let go things, it is necessary for me to live a way of life of letting go. Because I am holding on to certain conclusions or notions so firmly that it becomes very difficult for me to let them go. Even if I see that they are not right, I am not able to let them go. Usually, when I know that something that I am holding on to is not right, I don't have difficulty in letting go. But then there are certain things I am holding on to so fast that in spite of knowing that they are not right, I am not able to let them go. Swamiji, I know I should not get angry, but I do. Swamiji, I know I should not do, but I do. Which is a practical difficulty. And there has to be a solution to that. What is the solution? And therefore, you deliberately do something which will neutralize those strong tendencies. Deliberately live in a right way so that it will neutralize the tendencies of doing things in a wrong way. So living in the right way is the first step and knowing the right thing is the second step. And living in the right way is called Karma Yoga. Is the life of yoga. All it is is just live in the right way. And what is right way? Living in the living on the basis of certain fundamental laws that obtain in the universe. Our life, in fact, is governed by certain fundamental laws, certain fundamental realities. If my life is contrary to those realities, there is going to be conflict. If my life is in keeping with those realities, there is going to be harmony. And therefore, living in a way which is a harmonious way, this is the first step. 
This is called karma yoga. Why is called karma yoga? It's called yoga actually. Living in a right way is yoga. When karma or the action becomes an occasion for me to assert the right values, then it becomes karma yoga. So what is the right way? Lord Krishna said and we'll, we'll see that karma yoga will come here also. So therefore Lord Krishna said that this living in the right way, karma yoga is the first level of renunciation because here I am required to let go of my strong tendencies which are contrary to the existing laws. And second level of renunciation is in the wake of knowledge or understanding, letting go of those notions or complexes that are born of wrong understanding. This is what Lord Krishna taught. And also taught that what is the reality of myself? The reality of myself, the reality of self is I am ever free. Even though I take myself to be born, I am ever free. Even though I take myself to be a fearful person, an insecure person, in fact, fearlessness is the truth of myself. Even though I think that I am persecuted by the world, and therefore I am constantly being hurt on account of what the world, the way the world treats me, says, understand that you are beyond hurt. Nobody can hurt you. How come nobody can hurt me? Because I am not a bhokta, I am not an enjoyer, I am not an experiencer. That enjoyment, experiencing all of them, all of it takes place in the level of personality and I am the one that is not touched by anything that the world does to me in the sense that the Atma, the Self is abhokta, it is non-enjoyer, non-experiencer. Another source of unhappiness in my life is that whenever I do something wrong, then there is a sense of guilt in me and there is also another cause of sorrow. And so Lord Krishna says, look, there cannot be guilt in you because you never do anything. So you never do anything. What do you mean you never do anything? I do all kinds of things. You think you do all kinds of things. In fact, you, the self, does not do anything. You people may have heard this story of Lord Krishna. You know, Lord Krishna is known to have how many consorts? 16,108. And through each one of them, he had ten children. There was an army, you know, right in his own home. There were 16,108 palaces, one for each queen. And each, through each of them, it is said he had ten children. This is Lord Krishna. And uh, once upon a time it seems that a great sage Durvasas with number of his disciples came to visit them. But he was on the other side of the river. There is a river flowing there and sage Durvasas sent them a message that I am here. And Lord Krishna said, okay. We will send all, we will make all arrangements for you there, including the arrangements for the food, and therefore it is decided to send them the adequate food at a given time. So all these queens are sent with the food 
is a mark of hospitality to the saints. But then the queen said to the Lord, Look, we have to cross the river, and the river is flooded, it's in spade. So how can we cross the river? So Lord Krishna says to these queens, Go and tell the river, that if Lord Krishna is ever a celibate, if Lord Krishna is always a celibate, then the river should give way. We say here 16,108 queens and through each of them 10 children and still declares that I am ever a celibate, a brahmachari. <laughs> Tell the river and river give the way accepting that Lord Krishna is ever a celibate, nitya brahmachari. And so the queens go to the other bank, offer food to the sage, everything is done. He had a hearty meal and his disciples also. Now the queens have to return. Again the river is in flood. And the queens request this sage Durvasas, look the river is in flood, now how do we return? Then sage Durvasas says to the queens, go and tell the river. If sage Durvasas never ate, then the river should give way. Says what? Yes. They saw him. How well, you know, he had helped himself with the food. In spite of that, they were told, declare, go to the river and say, if Sage Durvasas never ate, please give way. That's what the queens did. If Sage Durvasas never ate, please give us away, and the river gave the way. And so, even while, in spite of doing, he does not do. He appears to be eating food to the onlookers. But as far as he is concerned, he is not eating. This is something very difficult to understand. But this is the truth about the self that is being revealed here. That means that there is no burden of doing anything at all. Everything takes place in his presence. As we said yesterday, there is a self and there is this person, that self is called the person, the conscious being, and there is this personality. And we'll analyze that personality further, that all the actions and all experiences take place at the level of the personality, consisting of the body-mind complex, and the self, the atma, the consciousness, presiding over this personality and learning the personality himself, others, in fact, does not do anything, nor does he get subjected to and impacted by any action also. He is neither a doer nor an enjoyer. He is neither karta nor bhakta. So knowing this, that I am simply the presence, I am merely the consciousness in presence of whom everything takes place. In presence of whom all actions take place, in presence of whom all experiences take place. And therefore, Neither am I an agent of action nor an agent of experience. I am merely a witness, merely blessing everything. Like the sun is a witness of what all is happening on the earth. When the sun rises, all the creatures get enlivened and that's how they become active. So sun is responsible for the life and activity on this earth. Without the sun, there could not be life, could not be activity. However, sun does not directly participate 
in any activity at all. In his presence, everything takes place. The idea is that the presence itself is so powerful that need nothing need to be done for things to take place. That's how Lord Krishna is portrayed. In Vrindavan, Lord Krishna plays on his flute, the music, that itself appears to be so enchanting that all the living creatures in that, in that region, not only human beings, but animals, including even trees and the grass, all of them get transfixed. All of them are attracted to that. Not that he has to invite them, merely by his presence, they just come. He's sitting in the center and they all dance around him. This is a typical picture of Lord Krishna standing rather in the center and all the gopis, all the cowherd maidens, they all dance around him. His presence is enough to set them to motion, to activity. Just as the presence of electricity is enough to set the fan to motion and so also the presence of self is enough to set this personality into motion and all activities take place, all experiences also take place and thus the self, the I, is akarta, abhokta, is actionless. This is a very important thing that is being also revealed in Bhagavad Gita based on the Upanishads. And now follows further analysis to show how the self is ever free from the sense of doership as well as from a sense of enjoyership. <coughs> this is very important. The self or I is free from a sense of doership and sense of enjoyership. Because whenever doership is there, then alone the question of guilt can be. Whenever enjoyership is there or experiencership is there, then alone the question of hurt can be there. This hurt and guilt are primary sources of sorrow for the human being. And hurt I am, guilty I am, not because there is a reason for me to be hurt or feeling guilty, but I feel hurt and I feel guilty on account of the kind of conclusions or the notions I hold on about the self. I think I, the self, is in fact the agent of action and therefore I feel guilty having done something right or am I wrong. And I take for granted that I, the self, is subject or agent of experience and therefore I take myself to be hurt. And thus it is necessary ultimately to know that Atma, the self, is ever free, free from even the sense of doership and sense of enjoyership. <coughs> then who does things? Who experiences this? This personality consisting of the body, mind, complex, that is what does everything. And so, to further amplify that, Lord Krishna now presents before us the analysis of various aspects of the personality or the mechanism of how the action takes place further from the 18th verse which is what uh, we are starting our study with. <coughs> I will chant, you please repeat after me.
ज्ञानम ज्ञेयम परिज्ञाता ज्ञानम ज्ञेयम परिज्ञाता त्रिविधा कर्म चोदना त्रिविधा कर्म चोदना करणम कर्म करते त्रिविध कर्म संग्रह त्रिविध कर्म संग्रह Lord Krishna in this verse explains to us the mechanism of action. What is that prompts the action? What is the impeller of the action? What is that induces the action? And what is it that performs the action? See? We think we take for granted that atma the self induces the action. I tell my mind, I tell my sense organs to act and therefore I the self is generally taken to be the one that induces all the actions. And I also take myself to one who performs actions. So an action can be performed when it is first induced or prompted. There is someone or something that prompts the action, that induces the action, that impels the action. And then action takes place. Action cannot take place just like that. In take, for example, uh, take the case of a sculptor. This, this example comes to my mind often. He is a very great sculptor. He is once walking along, I guess, in the mountains and sees a, a rock, which is rough and tough rock. He sees that. And somehow the sculptor sees in a rock something very beautiful. He sees in that a, a form of Lord Krishna. What to us appears to be just a rough and tough rock. In that rock this, the sculptor sees a beautiful form. And is induced to do something. So seeing that form is induced. And then he proceeds to perform an action takes his hammer and chisel and then starts chipping off and then finally after some time we see a very beautiful figure of Lord Krishna emerging unfolding or unveiling unveiled from the rock. When I see the rock nothing happens but when he sees the rock something happens to him. He's induced to do something. Depends, I mean, you know, different people are induced in different ways. Many years ago, when we were traveling through Himalayas, looking at the beauty of the mountains, the Ganges, one of these students was a, an engineer, I guess, and he said, look at this, you know, says, he addresses me and says, look, so and so, all this water, you know, how about building dams here, you know, or how about conserving this, and so that is, I, that is, that is the water or the river induces him to do that. When someone else sees a river like Ganga or the Yamuna, they say, hey, I want to take a dip. When some people see the river, they just want to plunge into that. Some people see a pool, they want to plunge into that, you know. So they're induced. Once the inducement happens, and then the action takes place. So who induces action? Does Atma, the self, induce the action? Lord Krishna says, no. Jnanam, Gnayam, Parijnata. Jnanam means knowledge in general. Jnana the object of knowledge. Parijnata the knower. Knower, known and knowledge. 
when these three factors combine then an action is induced so I am thirsty let us say I am walking along trekking along a mountain trek very thirsty and I see a beautiful a stream you know water flowing in a stream among the mountains Jnanam this water is called Gnam the object of knowledge I perceive that what I see is called Jnanam the knowledge and who am I? the Jnata the knower <coughs> so when this combination takes place with knower known and the knowledge then I am induced I see a small little waterfall maybe 200 feet away I'm thirsty and there is an inducement that takes place come on Swamiji walk up there and drink that water so before an action takes place there must be an inducement of action a desire something that prompts the action <coughs> that is so when we see things when I see a very beautiful flower on a tree or a bush I am induced proceed there pluck that flower even though it is written there in the garden do not pluck flowers but I see a beautiful rose and then this it's, I can't resist it and therefore I am induced to perform an action of plucking the flower <coughs> so it is important this is important who induces the action we take for granted that Atma or the Self is the one that induces action Lord Krishna says no the inducement of action or impelling of an action takes place when this combination occurs the knower, the known and the knowledge the knower is not the Atma who is the knower? Ahankara, the ego is the knower the object is the known and the interaction between them is called the knowledge <coughs> so we will find that in our mind inducement or desire takes place when the combination of knower, known and knowledge is there if Atma were the inducer Atma is always there and still inducement does not take place inducement takes place when these three factors are play, come into play then alone I acquire something or I get rid of something. Actions are generally of the nature of either acquiring something or giving up something. These actions take place when this combination of these three factors takes place the known, the knowledge, the knower, the known and the knowledge. And then action takes place. Who performs the action? Second line says Karanam Karma Karteti Trivijaha Karma Sangraha Karma Sangraha the, These are the three these are the, the action in fact located in this three All of these, these three become the constituents for performance of an action That is these three in combination perform the action So when the action is induced when there is an inducement for the action then who performs the action? Karanam karma karteti Karta, karta means doer, again the ego Karma, karma is the object upon which something is to be done 
and karanam, the organ or the instrument with which something is done. These three. For example, take the act of splitting the wood. There is a wood splitter. He has an axe in his hand. Now when he performs an action of splitting the wood, these three are involved. The wood is there, which is called the karma, the object of action. The axe is there in his hand, that's what karanam, the instrument, the, the, the instrument, the tool with which it is done. And the wood splitter is there, he's called karta, he's the agent of action, who performs action. Merely wood splitter is there, but the axe is not there, and wood is there, and the splitter is there. Axe is not there, doesn't work. The wood splitter is there, the axe is there, wood is not there, doesn't work. The wood is there, axe is there, the person is not there, doesn't work. All the three must be there for the action to take place. All the three may be there, and still action may not take place if the inducement is not there. Sometimes we would induce our workers, come on, it's all there, work is all there. All the tools are also there. The fellow also is there, but he's sitting there, lying down, napping, dozing off. So supervisor comes along, hey, mom, what are you doing? Make him up, induce him. So no action can take place unless there is inducement of action. And then after inducement also, the action can take place provided all these three factors are there. Bach can say, how can I do anything? I don't know, I don't know that, you know. Well, there's nothing to do. Why are you sitting here, Bob? There's nothing to do. There's no karma. Why are you not just, you know, folding your hand, not doing anything? Why? I don't have the tools. Hey, you are here, everything is, how come you're not doing? I'm not induced to do anything. So, karanam, karma karatedi. You know why Lord Krishna says all this? Just to clarify that Atma or the Self is not one of these factors. The Self neither induces nor the Self does anything. In presence of Self, the inducement takes place when these three factors, the knower, the known and the knowledge, when they come into contact with each other, then in presence of Self, the inducement takes place. And the inducement having taken place, then an action takes place of either acquiring something or getting rid of something. Action takes place at one of the three levels, at the level of the body, at the level of speech, or at the level of mind. It is not that action is merely the level of body, sometimes at the level of speech, sometimes at the level of mind. This action takes place when karanam karma kardeti, when the object is there, the instrument is there, and the doer is there, then the action takes place. Telling us thereby that, look, all this takes place in the presence of the self. Self of the Atma is not the inducer, is not the doer, is not the participant, is ever free from all these roles, all these doings. But Swamiji, you see, the, you say the wise person knows the self. We see him doing things. Well doing and still not doing. The fifth chapter it was said, Pasyan, Shrunvan, Sprushan, Jigran, Ashnan, Gachan, Swapan, Shwasan. Seeing, 
hearing, walking, talking, eating, drinking, breathing, sleeping, winking. He appears to do all of this that we do. Only that his perception in what his perception is different from our perception. What is it? This wise person says, I do not do anything while saying this. He says, I do not do anything. But you are saying it, you know, you are doing something. He says, even while doing, he does not do one. He is doing from the standpoint of onlookers. But he knows that I does not do anything. It is in the presence of I that all this happens. He is free from the consequence of all the actions. He is free from the burden of performing actions. He is free in spite of doing, in spite of appearing to do, appearing to experience, he is ever free. (coughs) Swatma is ever free, doesn't require to do anything, doesn't require to do anything to feel good about himself. You see, I, sometimes I get so bored with myself, you know, when there is nothing to do, then I have to do something. I call somebody, I write a letter, I do something. Then alone I feel good about myself. And then very often doing is necessary to feel good about myself. Sometimes experience is necessary. Switch on the radio, TV, something or the other. Then alone I feel good about myself. In short, at this time, for me to feel good about myself, I need to do something or I need to experience something. Lord Krishna says, look, you are as you are. You are good and therefore there's no need to do something to feel good. So when a wise person performs action, it is not for feeling good. It is because it is good that the actions are performed. Whereas an ignorant person performs an action for being happy, the wise person performs actions out of happiness. <coughs> this is a big difference. Therefore, when an action is performed out of happiness, it is always an action. There is an action that is blessing, that is giving. Because when you are happy, you are non-dividing. When you are happy, you are always generous and giving. And therefore we find that actions of wise people are all the nature of always giving. And therefore Vivekananda Chudamani compares them with the spring season. Just as the spring, wherever it goes, it spreads its beauty and fragrance and joy. And so also, wherever the wise person goes, he just spreads the joy. This is what we want. When we understand this secret about the self, we understand that without doing anything also I am fine, without having to experience anything also I am fine, when that is known, then I become free from the need to do something or from the need to experience something. Basically this knowledge makes me free from all the need, (coughs) which needs arise on account of not understanding myself for what I am or understanding myself wrongly. (coughs) So thus having told us the mechanism of action, Lord Krishna now proceeds to analyze these various aspects here for a clear understanding. Uh, Go to the next verse, 19th verse. Jnanam karma cha karta cha Jnanam karma cha karta cha Tridhaiva guna bhedatah 
प्रोच्यते गुण संख्याने प्रोच्यते गुण संख्याने यथावत श्रुणुतान्यपि यथावत श्रुणुतान्यपि ऑफ दी सिक्स दैट आर मेंशन इन द प्रीवियस वर्स लॉ कृष्णा टेक्स अप थ्री फॉर द डिस्कशन ज्ञानम कर्म से करता छ त्रिधा एव ुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणुणु
so that you can understand how Lord Krishna analyzes them or describes them and what's the reason for describing this. So let us look at what are these gunas and what the characteristics are. <coughs> Analyzing the universe. There are different ways of analyzing our personality also. In fact, our personality, consisting of this body-mind complex, is part of the universe only. And so, sometimes the universe is, is described as made up of five elements. Sometimes it is described as made up of five atoms. Sometimes it is described as made up of these three gunas, sattva, rajas and tamas. Take our own personality. Our, our personality is made up of, we have a gross body. You see, this is what we perceive. This body is called the gross body. Why is it called gross? Because it can be perceived. So whatever can be perceived by our senses is called gross. What cannot be perceived by senses is called subtle. So this light can be called gross because it can be perceived. But electricity can be called subtle because it cannot be perceived. And similarly, this body can be perceived, it is called the gross body. This is made up of tamas. Then, we have our organs of action. Like our speech, hands, legs are called the organs of action with which we perform actions. And that which motivates or this provides a motor power to organs of action is called the vital air, you know, prana, apana, this pranas. So organs of action and pranas, all of these are say the made up of rajas. And then we have the organs of perception. These are all the organs of action and prana that responsible action or activity. So rajas is associated with activity. The organs of perception and mind are the instruments of knowledge. So these are all organs of action, they are made of rajas. All organs of knowledge are instruments of knowledge. Organs of perception and the mind are the instruments of knowledge and they are made of sattva. And this body, 
which is inert is made up of tamas. So you can see the nature of guna. What is tamas? That is inert. What is rajas? That is actual. Sattva is knowledge. Thus, Sankhya has explained that the whole universe is made up of these three constituents. We find a lot of inertness or dullness or inactivity. We also call it inactivity. Inaction. Then we see activity. And we see tranquility, we see... So knowledge always is associated with tranquility. So this is what you find in this world. Tranquility, activity and inaction or inertness. So sometimes you go to the mountains, rivers, you find the atmosphere very very peaceful, very tranquil. You also feel very peaceful, tranquil. We would call that sattva. Go to Times Square, you know. <laughs> all kinds of inducement, all kinds of activities, you know. That is the rajas. And then, sometimes when you are lazy, sometimes you are just not in mood, you are very sleepy, you are tired, you cannot, you know, don't have no initiative, no motivation, do something, that is the tamas. So we find ourselves, sometimes no motivation at all. I saw you, I couldn't just make myself get up, that's it, I had to go to sleep again. I knew there was a class coming up, I just could not get up, that's it. In the morning the alarm rings, I know how to get up, go to meditation. And that is tamas. And sometimes, you just feel like, Swami, I'm going for jogging and I'm going for playing, you know, activity. That is rajas. And sometimes, meditating, prayer, study, contemplation, that is the sattva. So we find our personality also composed of these three gunas, sattva, rajas and tamas. The universe also we find. Lot of activity, wind is blowing, water is flowing, you know, all the volcanoes, activity. Tranquility we find. And also, inertia, inertness also we find. There was Sankhya's explained that the whole universe, including our personality, is made up of the three gunas, sattva, rajas and tamas. There is tranquility, there is knowledge, there is cheerfulness, <coughs> this happiness and cheerfulness are somewhat different, you know. I feel happy if you use that word. I'm happy because there is some reason, very nice show, I'm happy. 
my friend called, I'm happy. Some good food, I'm happy. So when the cause of happiness outside of myself, that happiness that happens, when the cause is outside of myself, we would include that in rajas, you know. But sometimes you are happy for no reason at all, sometimes. You find yourself in good mood. Just you wake, work in the morning, you are in good mood, whatever. So when that happiness for no reason, happiness arising from within myself, for no reason, is what we call cheerfulness or sattvic. We will have occasion to analyze that in this discussion itself, so I will not, you know, dwell much upon that, but just to give you an idea. That's why I said cheerfulness, tranquility, knowledge, and all the great, all the good qualities that we have. So when you find yourself kind, compassionate, loving, giving, charitable, you are sattvic. That is when the sattva, when sattva is predominant, then we find all these beautiful and noble qualities manifesting themselves. Then rajas comes. Is rajas means activity. Restlessness. Education. Greed. Lack of peace. Swamiji, I can't feel at peace with myself. I cannot meditate. You know, because rajas. Lot of rajas means that which makes me stimulation, activity, agitation. And therefore I'm just when the mind is predominant rajas, it keeps on driving me to do one thing after the other. And therefore, just constant activities, one thing is over, immediately another thing comes up. That is over, yet another thing comes up. And therefore, the rajas is characterized by activity. Activity born of... Activity doesn't necessarily mean rajas. Activity born of a sense of inadequacy. So when this rajas comes, then I become keenly aware of my lack or want. That's what this rajas does. When sattva comes, there's an awareness of my self-sufficiency. When sattva comes, I become aware of my self-sufficiency. When rajas comes, I become keenly aware of my lack or want. So when there is rajas in my mind, I find myself a wanting person, a lacking person, a needy person. And therefore I become restless. That's the reason why I start, I become active. And if that need continues, that lack continues, I keep on doing things one after the other and still don't find any peace at all. So this state is called rajas. And tamas is what? Dullness. 
Therefore, lack of motivation. And therefore, inactivity. Or lack of discrimination, lack of perception. An absence of clarity. This is all tamas. And therefore, when my mind is overcome by tamas, I become dull, inactive, no initiative, no motivation, become like a stone. Rajas, I become like wind. And sattva, I become like a lake, you know. So this is how sattva, rajas, tamas. Yeah. No, no, lack or want. Not lack of want. Lack means want, yeah. And I become keenly aware of my lack, keenly aware of my want, need. Here I keenly, I become aware of my self-sufficiency. Here I don't become aware of anything, awareness goes away. And therefore, I become inactive. <coughs> Sleep is a typical example. Sleep, laziness, lethargy, these are the typical examples of tamas. Activities, restlessness, examples of religious. Tranquility, knowledge, these are the examples of sattva. So we find our personality made up of these three qualities. In fact, we find the whole universe also made up of these three. And therefore, this topic, the discussion of this topic, in fact, started in the 14th chapter of the Gita. And it continues in the 17th chapter also. And Lord Krishna continues to discuss, uses the same model to continue to analyze our personality <coughs> based on these three gunas, sattva, rajas and tamas. So now we'll see how Lord Krishna is going to describe. In the 19th verse, Lord Krishna said, He is going to describe the jnanam, knowledge. Karma, action. And karta, the agent of action. Now we'll see how knowledge also threefold, sattvic, rajas, tamas. Action also is threefold, sattvic, rajas, tamas. Agent of action, karta, the doer also is threefold, sattvic, rajas, and tamas. And so we'll continue with our discussion. So this is how uh, the subsequent verses now will talk about these categories. Therefore, there are nine verses. Knowledge described the sattvic, rajas, tamas in three verses. Then similarly action and similarly the karta, the agent of action.